So I've got a lot to cover in these next uh, journal entries because we went to Rwanda and Uganda to see the mountain gorillas. And I think that deserves a little um, backstory. Um, you know, I never really thought that was a possibility until a few years before my trip. And I, I forget where, but I started seeing that it was a possibility to to go see the mountain gorillas, which blew my mind. I I really you know thought that was only something you would see on TV, and um, I'm not sure if I've said this before, but I absolutely love wildlife. I'm very much an outdoors person. I feel very attached to the outdoors and the earth, and I feel very close to nature. I guess you would say and everything in it, the animals included. I've always loved wildlife. And um, I certainly loved watching um, on TV all the specials about African wildlife. And um, the, uh, you know, the chimpanzees with uh, Jane Goodall, um, I was always amazed by that. And then also, of course, Diane Fossey, and the, uh, the mountain gorillas in Rwanda, and Uganda. And, um, you know, I had seen pictures of people, I guess maybe like just Diane Fossey and, and you know, sitting with them. And I, I just, it blew my mind. And anyway, I learned that, that it was a possibility and Jeff and I planned it. So this was part of our trip. And um, just a warning, some of these uh, journal entries might be a little hard to take. Um because I go into some politics, <laughs> but more on that uh, as we get there. Um, but uh, I do remember being just so excited about, you know, we Jeff and I had just come off these three safaris in um, Tanzania. And um, it was just, you know, kind of had, I was on cloud nine, you know, just thinking that we were going to see these mountain gorillas that it, it almost didn't seem like it was real. So uh, without any further ado, October 15th, 2003. Two flights to Kigali must do something about my fear of flying. I go through such mental anguish. It's just not worth it. Maybe that's it. Just don't bother with the fear. It's not worth it. We landed in Burundi and then Kigali. Kigali is a city with many ridges and valleys and red clay. People everywhere hanging on the side of the road. That's how it has been every city so far. Lots of shacks and huts. Dirt, clay, corrugated steel. The poverty is shocking. The parliament building still has artillery shell holes in it, and it is very run down. We are in the nicest hotel in town, the Mill Collins. Had a nice dinner and averted the eyes of the hookers at the bar. One of them accosted Jeff in the bathroom. October 16th, 2003. Woke up at 4.30 and out the door at 5.15 to get to the park to see the gorillas. People were out and about everywhere, just as you get outside town. Tons of people are walking downhill bringing their wares to sell in town. It is amazing. Everybody has something on their head. Wood, veggies, tons of stuff. Crazy. 
To make it more crazy, our driver, Frederick, drives like A.J. Foyt. I thought he would hit someone for sure, but we made it safely to the park in two hours. You go up through terraced hillsides, lots of sweet potatoes, and brick kilns. There are five volcanoes, and they sit on a high plateau. There are more people than I thought, very poor, mostly subsistence farmers. Kids are everywhere. Lots just hanging out in the fields. Some babies crawl around naked. Lots of people are out in the fields. Tons of kids wave to you as you drive by on the bumpy roads. Rwanda is very populous. We head to the ranger station and pick up our guide. He explains the rules to us. Um, I had a note here about the farming. They farm just as the very first farmers did. No difference. Okay, so the rules from the guide in terms of dealing with the gorillas. No closer than seven feet. If the silverback charges, watch the guide for instructions. Don't point. Cover your mouth if you sneeze and a few more. We pick up four other people and drive half an hour up to the park boundary. There is a line about a third up the massive, which separates the fields from the park. There is actually a line of cedars that show the boundary. The population closes much closer to the park and gorillas than I thought. Luckily, the gorillas are only about a half hour walk from where we start. There are four families to track in the range. 650 are left. Um, that would be more than four families. But anyway, uh, we start through bamboo forest and then our guide tells us to get our cameras ready. We have reached the trackers and the gorillas were just out of sight. The guides use machetes to make a trail of about 10 yards and motion for us to come. It is absolutely incredible. I was standing literally seven feet from a male and about 15 feet from the big silverback. You look right into their eyes. They are so magnificent. We spent an hour going to different viewing points. There are 12 of them, about four young ones, one of which is only two months. They have built nests and they are resting. However, towards the end, one of the babies starts playing on a large bent over bamboo stock. He hangs on it like it's a jungle gym, upside down, spinning and falling off. He also walks on it like a balance beam. The best is when the guide clears way for us to get close to the silverback. We walk within seven feet and just observe. I stare right at him. He looks right at me and then at Jeff. As if to say, okay, you, okay, you guys again, why do you come here? Seeing their eyes is the best part. It makes you realize humans are not the only thing going. Great day, but lots of sitting around for the rest. From three to seven, Frederick, our guide, tells me the whole story about the genocide. Really, the whole history. I'll stop right there. So, there is a lot to uh, expand on here. Uh, so, when you travel and you go someplace that is just so different than um, your world that you uh, are accustomed to, 
it's that's the ultimate in travel in my opinion and and going to Rwanda was certainly one of those experiences never in my life did I ever think that I would be going to Rwanda um I remember reading about the genocide in Newsweek as you know Newsweek used to be a weekly you know news magazine and you'd learn about all the the world events you know they in those in Newsweek some people might remember this and um I have very vivid memories reading about the genocide in Rwanda in 93 or whenever it was 94 I guess and just you know just being horrified and just you know amazed at what you know humans can do to one another it just didn't make any sense at all so anyway just going to Rwanda in and of itself was something I was um which was strange and so we flew, I guess, from Nairobi to uh, Burundi, and I remember touching down at the airport there, and I remember seeing military um, planes and and uh, soldiers, and I think they looked to be U.S. soldiers, but who knows? Maybe they were French or something. It always seems to me some of these 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 places um, in these remote parts of the world that you can get a little insight into the place by the airport. You land in the airport, and there's always like the stuff they don't talk about on the news, you know, like what country is supporting them militarily. You can actually see this stuff, which is kind of amazing. But um, so then we then we landed in Kigali, and I remember that Kigali um, had various um, kind of hills or ridges and you know um, houses all over the place um, on these different uh, uh, hills. And it was very, you know, a lot of red clay and, um, you know, just driving through it, you know, very poor, um, very crowded, um, very bustling. And uh, we stayed in this really, you know, fancy hotel for for Kigali, uh, which I later learned was the hotel um, in the movie, the um, Hotel Rwanda. It's where apparently someone had... um, protected some people in the uh in the genocide but but we did not know that at the time and um and I can't remember exactly about the prostitutes at the bar I actually have a story about that uh in a next journal entry and and the the part about the woman accosting Jeff at the bathroom I thought that was from a um this next journal journal entry but uh what I remember is this woman was so into Jeff that uh, when he tried to get away, he went to the bathroom and she literally um, walked to the bathroom and like just stood out in front of the bathroom waiting for him to, to come back out again. I don't know. Jeff Jeff would have like a certain like effect on on some women. It was uh, it was impressive. I have to say, like it's kind of like a snake charmer. They I think they would completely. Um, uh, he would stare at them and they would um, fall under his his spell. <laughs> But um, anyway, I don't know, random thoughts. But um, uh, anyway, so we we drove off to um, these volcanoes. Um, Ver, they called it the Virungi Park, I think. And um, going outside town was interesting how so many people were on the side of the road walking into town with all the stuff they were going to sell. And... Um, as uh, you know, as we got closer to these volcanoes, you we would see a lot of it was very agricultural, a lot of farmland, but it was all being worked by people just in the field, and it was 
It was always a woman. There was not a man to be found in the field, maybe a few. But the women, and they wore the clothes they would, you would see them that they wore as they were walking around. Very colorful, pretty uh, clothes. Um, and they would have their kids in the fields with them. And another thing I remember, and I don't think we saw it right then and there, but before I forget, is um, you would see a lot of women on the side of the road, you know, walking for, to somewhere. And there'd be groups of them. You know, sometimes there'd just be one woman. But oftentimes there'd be two or three and they'd have their kids. And, and a lot of times they'd have their kid, the little baby, strapped on their back um, with their scarf or their robe. And the little kid would be just shoved up against the woman's back. <laughs> and the poor little guys would, you know, their faces would be turned and they could see out one side, you know. Um, maybe they would rotate which direction they looked at. But it's really cute. And there were a lot of um, inoculation programs going on uh, that were probably sponsored by the UN. And we would see these women obviously walking miles to have their kids immunized, I guess is the right word. So it just really shows, you know, just the power of, of motherhood and, you know, what, what a woman will do for her child. You, you could just see the miles that were being walked and that what people people will take advantage of of a better life given the opportunity, you know. Um, and uh, anyway, random random observations. But where we were going was this Virungi National Park. Um, it's up in this high area, and it's very pretty. That you have there are about four or five of these volcanoes, and they're not that large, but they're certainly volcanic looking. You know these cones, and they're covered in vegetation though. It's all very jungle like. And uh, and one thing I forgot to mention was about these kilns. So they had these, um, uh, ra- you know, these hut hut looking what's the mound type structures, and you'd see a lot of them. And anyway, what the, those were were they you know they had this red dirt. They were making bricks out of out of the local out of the clay the the earth. Um, and so, and so anyway, the homes were made out of those. And the homes were just, you know, very, very small structures like huts, but made out of this oftentimes brick with a thatched or corrugated steel roof on the middle of a, of a farm, you know, and you'd see a family out there. But anyway, we, we got to the um, where we met our guide and we drove up to kind of high, a little higher up. And it was still all sort of, you know, not active farmland, but there was sort of this this buffer zone between the farmland um, because the the people were not that far from the gorillas, but there was this buffer zone, and you could actually tell that the um, the vegetation had been at one point in time uh, burned or or uh, lumbered um, up to a certain level. Everything above that was pure jungle, but it was clear that they had tr- attempted to move that down the mountainside because there was new growth. So. With this park they created, they were actually, in my point of view, this is progress. <laughs> progress is not chopping down a forest. In my mind, progress is, you know, revitalizing the forest, reconstituting the forest. And they had done that. And you could actually see it with your own eyes. But um, anyway, then we walked, as I said, for about half an hour. And we came across these mountain gorillas. And it, it's just, it's really hard to describe the feeling so I, I guess I won't even try 
it's just you feel like you have been given the access to a very special world. And um, one thing I walked away from this experience thinking is that these animals have the same exact right to this planet as you and me and the 7 billion or 8 billion other mofos that are here. And we are not being good stewards to this planet. And we will wipe these animals off the face of the earth and they will never be here again. And it's a damn shame. But when you see them in their natural habitat and you actually look them in the eyes, you know, and I don't know about souls and blah, 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 but it looks like they've got them. <laughs> you know, they have recognition and they are beings into an, um, you know, all in their own right. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I'll just leave it at that. But, um, but anyway, there were these uh, little families of gorillas. It's one family. It's one group. And it's there was a big silverback, and these are all his women. He had about I don't know five uh, partners, <laughs> females, and um, each female had a, a child, you know, a baby or two at various ages. And when we walked up upon them, they were kind of around us in a semicircle. The big silverback was up to our left, and there were um, little like clutches or groups of you know, a female with their babies, kind of they made nests out of the um, the vegetation and some were raised up a little higher, um, kind of looking down on us a little bit. Some were right in front of us. When we walked, uh, to, when we got there, there was one guy, he, he had had his hand um, severed in a, uh, in a trap, in a, in a poacher's trap. So he didn't have a hand and he was just sitting there and we got within like, I don't know, 10 feet of him. I mean, he, he was looking right into his eyes and I'll never forget how he looked right up at us. And, you know, you took photos and all that. But the poor guy, because he was handicapped, he would probably never be the big silverback. So it was okay for him to be with that troop, if that's what you call him. I forget the name. But at any rate, it was all very peaceful and, you know, we just watched these... Um, you know, they, they would eat, so they eat these leaves, and they, they were kind of in a state of napping or coming out of their nap, their sleep. And I mentioned the trackers. So what happens is there's about three or four of these guides who who are not with the, the troop all the time, but, you know, they kind of keep an eye on them. So when they knew, you know, the day was the day when some tourists would, would come in, they found them. And so when we got there, these these other guides were there, and um, and we wouldn't say much. We you know you get your picture taken with them, and you know, and then. But the thing that was kind of amazing to me was when we um, the guide said, "Come with me," and we walked right past a female with her little child or baby, and he chopped down some some bamboo and vegetation and situated us like about ten feet in front of the silverback, and the silverback had just been sitting there the whole time kind of with his arms crossed and it had his chin on his arms his forearms and and you know it's kind of surveying the scene just kind of keeping an eye on us and um he's probably used to this you know but we were so darn close to him and he just didn't change his look he just looked right at us 
almost as if to say, you know, why do I have to put up with you guys? You know, get out. I've got my family to attend to. But that was pretty amazing. And then when we were there, this little baby decided to put on a show. And he was probably like two months old or something. And um, there, like I said, there's like this bamboo that had been bent over. Um, uh, so it was like kind of like a parabolic shape, you know. And um, anyway, he would like swing on it and and beat his chest and, and um, walk on it like a a balance beam and he'd fall off and roll over and stand up and beat on his chest. And it was just, it was so cool. And, uh, anyway, yeah, so that was it. And then we, um, we were out of there and we didn't have much to do except, um, it, you know, it was raining. And so I remember sitting, um, with Frederick, our guide. And for the next three to four hours, he told me the, the incredible story about the genocide from his perspective, his, you know, he lived it. And uh, we'll talk about that on the, uh, the next journal entry.